This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 4, uh, again, continuing our series entitled Practical Christianity, we find ourselves in a very uh, heavy passage of scripture, I would say, because James kind of draws a line in the sand, if you will. It's an us versus them moment, and the us is Christians, and the them is the world. Now, the world is not un- unsafe people when he's talking about here. If anyone will love the world, uh, it puts him at enmity with God. He's not talking about those that love the people in the world. And so, again, it's important that we understand that when it comes to biblical Christianity, it's not a us as Christians against every other person in the world. That's where some people get wrong. They see that their unsafe coworker is their enemy, or someone who's steeped in false religion or a cult is the enemy, and we've got to attack them with everything we got. That's not the enemy. The devil is the enemy, and the world's system is the enemy. Other people are souls that Christ died for, and were it not for the grace of God, you and I would be on the other side of it. Now, are these people enemies of God? Definitely, according to Romans chapter 5, they are, but we don't need to see them as our enemy. We're not fighting against other people, or we're not fighting against other individuals or other, other types of churches. We're fighting for truth, and we're fighting on the side of Christ-likeness. And so uh, we find ourselves in James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse number 4, uh, go through verse number 5. Uh, we covered uh, a little bit of this passage last week, uh, but we... Uh, Kind of by way of review at a little bit deeper dive uh, here tonight. James chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill, and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, not because you... Uh, you ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. The adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but give grace unto the humble. So we find ourselves here and again in verse number four, really, really critical passage where he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. And we talked about last week, and again, uh, it's, it's helpful to mention by way of review, that the bride of Jesus Christ uh, is the church. That's those of us that are saved. Uh, we've been purchased by the Father for the Son, uh, the Son being the, bra- the, the groom, the church being the bride, and there's coming together a marriage First before that, a marriage supper of the Lamb, where the, the bride, those of us that are saved, will meet the groom, will celebrate for seven years while a great tribulation is taking place on earth, then will be a part of the 1,000-year reign with Christ as the head, the groom, the church, those of us that are saved, as the bride. And then the Bible tells us there'll be a new heaven and new earth, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Amen. So if we are the bride of Christ, Jesus Christ is the groom. Verse number four says, those of us that are in love with the world have been unfaithful to our vow to Christ. He goes so far as to call us adulterers and adulteresses. And again, this harkens back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament when they were given over to idolatry. The Bible says that they had gone a-whoring after other gods. And so again, we see the seriousness of those who would desire to love the world system or be loved by the unsaved world, those who desire to have a platform or desire to have status amongst a a system that is broken, a system that is given over to sin, a system that is anti-Christ. And if you choose... To love this world, the things that are in this world, the world's systems, then the Bible says that puts you on opposite sides of God. The word enmity means open hostility toward, antagonistic towards God. You're basically baiting God to bring out his 
chastisement and judgment against you. Should you choose to love this world, it puts you at opposite ends of the spectrum of loving God. Now, when we talk about Christ-likeness, we talk about godliness, we talk about righteousness, we talk about holiness. These are all very good terms. These are all good Bible terms. And basically it means that if sin is here, you and I are separate from that. The word saint uh, is the Greek word hagios, where we get our word holy. Uh, the word saint literally means holy ones. It doesn't mean those that have, uh, have died for 200 years and have had, had done miracles done, and then the church votes on whether or not they're saints. The word saint in the Bible means those that are saved are called to live a holy, separated life. The, even the Greek word for the word church means ekklesia, which means those that are called out of something and placed into something else. And so you and I are called out of the world and are placed into the body of Christ, which is known as the church. By very definition, the church should be separate from the world. So when you have churches that begin to adopt the world's systems and lifestyles and, and, and baits and hooks, you find a church that is no longer a church according to the very definition of the church. And so when we talk about holiness and righteousness, it's a separation from sin. If sin is here, I want to be separate from that. I don't want to be near that lest one would think that I'm involved in these types of things. And so that's the idea of holiness. Now when we talk about worldliness, it gets a little bit more dicey here. What does worldly mean? Uh, does worldly mean that you, uh, that you and I should uh, dress like the Amish in all black, that we should uh, wear uh, the same clothes every single day? Does that mean that we can't have uh, you know, a, cool, a cool shirt, or does that mean we can't wear shorts? So what does that mean? It gets a little muddy depending on who you ask, so again, it's important that we always go back to Scripture and let Scripture be our guide. Uh, one definition that I found in a Bible dictionary of the world worldliness is this, the sinful tendency to conform to the world. Now, we'll stop right there for a second. This is not a tendency to be conformed to the world. For example, we have carpet in our auditorium. We have comfortable folding seats. We have air conditioning. Praise God. And if you're ever cold in church, a couple of things I'll help you with. First of all, we sell hoodies now. Okay. Second of all, the warmest place in this entire room is right up here. And so if you want to grab a chair up here, if you want, uh, I'm more than welcome to make space for you. The only thing is, this is known, for those of you that have been in church before, you know this is called the Amen Corner, right? Some of you might not know this. Back in the day, there were churches, and there were pews up front. There were really short pews, but up front, and it was called the Amen Corner. And the people that sat there, it was their job to be the hype team for the pastor, right? They sit there, they say, Amen, yeah, that's good. And it was literally called the Amen Corner. You think I'm kidding, but there are churches in the South that if you go in, in the front, there's these short pews up front. That's called the Amen Corner. So if you need a warm place to sit on a Sunday night, I'll make you an Amen Corner. How about that? Amen. Thank you. Yes. Love it. Uh, I was going somewhere with all this. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, is that the fact that we have AC and carpet and, and comfortable folding chairs, does that make us worldly? The answer to that is, of course, no. Uh, some of us tonight are wearing uh, shorts and, uh, and a, a comfortable shirt. Does that make us worldly? No, because again, the, the beginning of this definition is this. It's the sinful tendency to conform to this world. It all goes back to my heart issue. I desire to be liked. I desire to be wanted. I desire to fit in amongst unsaved, unchurched haters of God. To be contrasted with the biblical command to maintain contact with the world while avoiding becoming like the world. Believers are called to live in the world while not being of the world. And this attitude is supremely exemplified in the ministry of Christ. Christ was in the world. The, the guy had dinner with, with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, people that people hated. He spent time with them. He was in the world. He rubbed elbows with these people. He didn't separate himself from these people. He didn't draw a line in the sand that he didn't cross and wouldn't be near these people. These are the people he wanted to spend time with. But he also made sure that he was not conformed to their lifestyle. And we'll take a look at that a little bit uh, later in our passage this morning. It's important to understand from the jump, though, that Jesus loves sinners. You can't get around that. And so the call to holiness, the call to righteousness, the call to, and again, if we're going to talk about anti-worldliness, the word that we would use would be Christ-likeness or holiness. The call to holiness and righteousness is not to have no interaction whatsoever with sinners. 
It doesn't mean that you and I should, should go join a commune somewhere. It doesn't mean we should create a Christian utopia where we buy a piece of land, everybody moves there, and everybody that moves there is a Christian, and we all just get along together in happy, uh, you know, heavenly bliss. That's only going to happen in heaven. And we're not called to live that kind of life. We're called to actually live amongst sinners. You know one of the reasons why we planted who we call it in the dead center of Honolulu? Because we want to be close to a lot of sinners. That's the reason. Hey, again, if we wanted to be around a bunch of Christian folks, it'd be like, hey, let's find the most churched area on the island where people go. Hey, let's find the people on our island that are historically Christian and seek them out and gather together with them. We didn't. We purposely wanted to be around sinners. And no lie, uh, in the last three weeks of our church, this morning me and Trey found a guy uh, parked out front hanging out the side of his car, had shot up drugs and was passed out in the passenger seat of his car hanging out the side. And just like, I hope he wakes up and drives off before church starts, right? Because it would be kind of awkward, right? Uh, three weeks ago, I, I pulled around to, to the, uh, the front of the building and there was a, a guy and his, his partner uh, sitting out front. I don't know what their marital status was. Partner was sitting out front. And I pull up and I said, hey, man, can I help you? He's like, no, 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 we're, we're just getting ready to leave. And so he's kind of like packing his stuff up and stuff like that. And I said, I said, hey, man, what's your name? And you know, I said, my name's Kaipo. I said, oh, man, no way. It's, it's a great name. I know, I know a guy named Kaipo. And we began to talk for a little bit. He wasn't really interested in conversation that much. Super respectful, super polite. I'm really sorry. No, man, you don't have to be. Hey, talk to me about what's going on with you. I tried to engage in conversation. He wasn't having it or wasn't interested. The person he was with, totally not interested in talking to, to me and stuff. And so... He grabbed his stuff, and he's, he went. And uh, I thought, man, that's a bummer. You know, I tried to talk to him, gave him an invitation to church, and, again, not really interested, and so I, I did my best. <laughs> and so my wife, uh, always the detective, uh, rolls back our security footage that we have on there, and no lie, 10 minutes before I rolled up out front, the dude had dug in his bag, had a spoon out, had lit up uh, underneath his spoon, had tied off his arm, and had shot up with some type of substance 10 minutes before I rolled up. And you look at that and you go, wow, that's terrible. We should to totally find a different part of town to plant our church. No, this is the perfect place to plant a church like this. Where do people like this get help? You see this oftentimes in the mainland. People don't want to go to an urban city. They want to go to a suburban city. Let's find us a nice little bedroom community where the you know, median home price is uh, you know, about right for us. We can find a good middle class group of folks and gather together. Jesus looked for sinners. Where are the people that need Jesus the most? And I think when you look at America and really the world, the, the dearth of church planting is in cities, urban areas where people need Jesus. Hey, look, I get it. Sometimes coming to church, you've got to step over homeless people. Welcome to a city and a place of people that need Jesus. I, I hope that doesn't turn you off from coming to church. I hope you have a kind word to say when you stop by. Because again, these are the people that God's called us to reach in our city. And so please don't misunderstand, Jesus loved spending time with sinners. But here's the thing, Jesus spent time with sinners to draw them to himself. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners because they were his kind of people. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners because those were the people he felt most comfortable with. I've heard people say before foolish things like, well, I feel a lot more comfortable around uh, the, the unsaved people that are drinking a couple of beers and watching football than I do around church folks. Okay, I think you need to check your heart because your brothers and sisters in Christ should be close relationships that you have. And, and again, I encourage people, sometimes people say, well, I can't find a, a good church community where I live. Then I would find a different church. Bottom line, because you need Christian brothers and sisters that will help you to be more like Christ. You don't need unsaved people that will help you be more like the world. So is it wrong to spend time with unsaved people? Let's answer that question. No. But the question is, why are you spending time with them? Are you spending time with them in an effort to influence them and draw them to Christ? Or are you spending time with unsaved people because you really like spending time with unsaved people? I've known people before who are like, oh, you know, I can't drink or go out and party and stuff like that, so I like to live vicariously through my friends who can. I like to hear their stories. I like to ask them questions and talk about things that I used to be involved with. Hey, look. You need to read Romans chapter 1 where it says that God's going to judge those people who live that kind of lifestyle and also those who take pleasure in them that do. You're just as complicit if you enjoy living vicariously through someone else's stories. And again, that don't get me started. That goes for the types of television shows that we watch. 
oh, I would never be involved in a homosexual relationship, but the show that I enjoy watching has a couple that's in it, that that's like the main storyline, but I enjoy watching, it's fun. Hey, take care of those that have pleasure in them that are engaged in things that God calls sin. And so again, we gotta be super careful with that. And then you might say, well, that's pretty hardcore, Pastor. That's why I watch a whole lot of documentaries. Like, I, I just, I can't, because the majority of things today have devolved to the point where everything, every sitcom has some bent towards sin and worldliness. And my heart just can't afford it. And so Jesus didn't spend time with sinners because those were his people. He spent time with sinners to draw them to Christ. And so you should have unsaved, I wouldn't go so far as to use the word friends, but you should have unsaved acquaintances, people that you're involved with, people that you know, that you're trying to draw to Christ. I'm thankful that our gym no longer requires you to show a vaccine card or negative COVID test or uh, wear a mask to work out anymore because I, me and Trey went back to the gym this week. Went back to the gym, very first day that I'm there, I see somebody that I've been inviting to church for four years. Four years. I'm trying to get them to Jesus. Thatcher told me, told me while we're singing tonight, he said, hey, um, a couple from the gym that I knew. I said, yeah. He said, they were out at the beach today when we were baptizing, and they texted me. Right on. I've been inviting them to church for four years. And guess what? They got to see our church family in action today. Praise God for that. So we need to spend time for sinners. And I'm thankful I get to go back to the gym because I don't get a lot of chance to spend time with sinners. Some of you do. Some of you think like, oh, it'd be so great to be able to work at church and I'll have to work around sinners. First of all, I work with Trey, and Trey's a sinner, right? <laughs> Okay? Trey works with me, and guess what? I'm a sinner, okay? Now, again, we're both trying to walk with Jesus and do our best, but here's the fact at the end of the day. We have to purposely go out of our way to find people that need Jesus. We got to look for them. It's like, it's like going hunting, you know? I have to hunt for people that need Jesus. You're around them all day long if you have a, a, a job, if you live in a neighborhood, if you live in a community. You, you just walk out your front door and you find them. That's a good thing. But again, I want to find these people to draw them to Christ. Jesus was not of this world. Jesus says in John chapter 18, verse number 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then the, my, would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews? But my kingdom is not from hence. Jesus says, hey, you would know if my kingdom was here because if it was, I wouldn't have been taken. My soldiers would fight and I guarantee you I would win. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so you and I are not fighting in this world to win the world's affection because God's kingdom is not here. We're fighting for a kingdom, but it's not an earthly kingdom. We're fighting for the souls of men, but not to win them to like us more or to be our buddies or to be smitten with how cool we are. We're trying to win people to Jesus Christ for his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world, so that means that you and I are not of this world. We should be distinctly different. <laughs> People should be able to watch your life and see that things are different. People should know, like, hey, you're the one person that I work with or work for that doesn't use foul language. There's something different about you. One of our men uh, at... Uh, at his workplace, he said, I don't have a whole lot of interaction with people. I'm kind of in my own, on my own. He said, but so uh, what I do is I just put a Bible on my desk. And so if anybody ever comes to my office, they, front and center right there in my office, when you walk in, you're going to see a Bible. And it's like, one guy walked in and says, hey, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. They began to talk about their faith together. Yeah, praise God for that. You know, why? Because he's distinctly different, not of this world. Look, again, if you want to, to follow after this world, you're going to get lost in the crowd. But Jesus says, we're to stand out because we're different from this world. Here's what he said. If this world hates you, just know that it hated me first and the servant's not above his master. Again, we're not trying to win a popularity contest. If you're trying to be all things to all men, you'll miserably fail. If you're trying to win a popularity contest and be the best liked, then you're going to fail. It's also important to note, though, that while people may hate you for your faith or people might not like you for your faith, people might, might make make fun of them or mock your faith. Never let people hate you because you're a jerk, right? There's a difference. 
Oh, people don't like me because I'm a Christian. Mm, maybe, maybe not. You know, it's funny. Out of the last 12 jobs that you had in the last six months, everybody hates you because you're a Christian. Hmm, that's strange to me. 12 jobs, six months, and it's all because you're a Christian. I don't know about that. I have a tough time buying that. People say, oh, did you catch the Super Bowl? I didn't. It was the Lord's Day, and we were at church, and we don't watch football on Sundays. It's full of a bunch of beer ads and women in, in short skirts. We're not interested in that. Okay, you could just say, no, I didn't watch the game. Simple as that. You don't have to make a big deal. You don't have to get on a soapbox. You don't have to grandstand. You don't have to, have to, you don't have to turn everything into a religious debate. You know, again, you don't have to be the Christian weirdo at, work, at your workplace. Don't do it. And look, the gospel is offensive enough without you being offensive on top of it. You know, I've heard people go to their workplace and talk about queers and sodomites. It's just like, people don't dislike you because you're a Christian. They dislike you because you're a jerk. Jesus never won people to himself by calling them filthy, ugly, awful, offensive names. Now, did he talk harshly with the scribes and Pharisees? Sure. He wasn't trying to win them. They had already made their bed. They needed to lay in it. He called them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. But if you're trying to win people to Christ, you catch a lot more with honey than you do vinegar. And so I want to show the love of Christ. I'll let God handle judgment one day. I'm just going to show a lot of love. Now, again, if I'm going to show love, I also have to show truth. And I can speak the truth in love the way the Bible commands. But you and I, the day that we got saved, didn't immediately get raptured to heaven. God didn't immediately take us home because we're left here to make an impact. God wants us to make a difference with our lives. God wants us to be used for the kingdom. And we can only do that if you and I live distinctly different lives. Look, if your marriage is a wreck, you're addicted to pornography, you cuss every other breath, Every other person in the office hates your guts. You never get your work done on time. People are waiting like, when does this dude leave? Because like, life will be so much easier. Hey, look, you're just like everybody else. You're not making a difference for anything. Oh, let me invite you to our church for Easter Sunday. Please don't. Seriously. If you have a terrible testimony in your workplace, one of the worst things you can do is tell people that you're a Christian. And again, it grieves me to know that there are Christians that call who we call their church home, that aren't living it and walking the walk in the workplace, but you'll hand out some invitations to Easter Sunday. That worries me. We had uh, probably about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, uh, Larry Gregory, one of the faithful men of our church, who's a dear friend of mine, been here since before day one. Uh, Larry's the type of guy that would lay down in, in traffic for me, and I would do the exact same thing for him. He was standing out here greeting on a Sunday morning, and one of his coworkers that he had not invited to church came. Not that he didn't invite him, but wasn't invited by him, came with another guy. And Larry sees a guy that he works with come here that wasn't invited by him, was invited by somebody else in our church. And, I, and he was just like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, oh, hey, Larry, uh, man, I remember you telling me about this church before. And we began to talk and stuff like that. And I thought to myself in that moment, how awkward would it be if Larry had a terrible testimony at the workplace and his coworker walks up and is just like, do you go here? Oh, man, that's embarrassing. Wouldn't that be awful? And so think about that. If, if, if people from your office showed up to who we call the next Sunday morning and they saw you here, would they be shocked in a good way or a bad way? I know people who have come to church here before who they see somebody in their chain of command and the, they attend who we call about his church and they're just like, wow, that's awesome to know that I work for somebody who's a real deal Christian. But that's only if you're actually living the real deal Christian life. And, and the majority of people who aren't willing to be publicly out there being a Christian, it's generally because their life doesn't back it up. I would tell you this. Just make your life back it up then. Simple as that. Well, I've got a lot of things I need to fix. Okay, fix it. It's the simplest solution. We don't need any more closeted, half-committed Christians. We've got enough of those. How about you be the real deal? How about we separate from this world and be more like Christ? How about we don't get caught up in all the garbage that's going on in this world and just try to be like Jesus? 
So we're left to make an impact in this world. Jesus in John chapter 17, verse number 14, I've given them my word and the world hath hated them because they're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They're not of this world even as I'm not of this world. Jesus said this, God the Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to leave them here so that they can make a difference. And it won't be popular. It won't be easy. There will be sacrifice on your part. If you want to be a real deal, fully committed Christian and walk the walk and talk the talk, it's going to require three things of you. And you're like, ooh, I want to know what these are. Really simple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. That's it. That's how you do this. But the majority of Christians in the day and age which we live in, and which is not unique to us because it's been happening for 2,000 years, are more than happy to hang on to Jesus' coattails when it's convenient, but aren't willing to deny themselves first. Definitely not willing to take up their cross, which means to be publicly put to death in their own person. Definitely not willing to follow Jesus unless it's really convenient for me. So those, those are the types of lives that make little to no impact. Again, one of the best books that I've read in probably the last five years is the book Outsiders. It's a story of 13 men after the Bible who made a massive impact on Christianity as we know it. You need to read it. You need to use it as part of your devotional book. If you don't have a copy of it, I'll get you one. It's like that good of a book. And as I read through that book and I, I hear the stories of these men, many of them who gave their, their lives for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of God's word, I begin to be stirred in my spirit that I need to do more for Jesus, that I haven't yet done anything for the cause of Christ that's going to last and matter, and it stirred something inside of me to do more for Christ. We need to be Christians that are looking for ways to get deeper in to kingdom work, not ways to find less. And look, I realize who we call a Baptist church is not for everybody, but it grieves my soul that when people choose churches that they'll be a part of based on parking in the parking lot, and the length of the service. That's super short-sighted. I want to be in a place where God's word is preached, where people are being saved, where people can grow in their faith, where people have the opportunity to serve. And look, I get it, our parking situation is not convenient. Sorry, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's all I got to say. You know, no lie. Once upon a time, we had, uh, had thought about when, when our church was beginning to grow and our church is still growing, we thought to ourselves how inconvenient it was that people would have to park. And so, no lie, this is how foolish I was at the time. Um, I began to call some of the parking garages around here and began to look at leasing parking spaces from different parking garages to give people places to park. And the idea was this. I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad even telling you this. I'm looking at these different parking garages that we can contract with, and then I'm looking at a shuttle bus where we can go around and pick people up and shuttle them to church so they won't have to walk a block or two. And I thought to myself, I, I, I did this for like two or three weeks. I was pulling my hair out, trying to find a way to make this work. I was calling our insurance company, find out what insurance looks like that. And we have to have a driver training program. Do they need to have a commercial driver's license? All this other stuff. And I began to, you know, I'm, I'm getting these leases on parking spaces and stuff. And as I began to read the scriptures one day, just through the gospels, and Jesus continually calling people to commitment and commitment and commitment, I thought to myself, do I really want to pastor a church of people who are afraid to walk two blocks to church? And the answer to that was no, I don't. And so I scrapped the whole idea. And I know it's not convenient. And I apologize for that. I wish it was nice. I wish it was nice and easy. I wish we had six acres of parking and you got plenty of spots and we had a little tram that ran through there like Disneyland. We don't have it, okay? <laughs> but hey, look. Again, I think if we're looking for comfort in the Christian life, we're looking for the wrong, wrong type of life. Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable. Now, it's not supposed to be hard on purpose, you know? It's not going to make you walk an obstacle course to get to church or anything, but it's like, it's not supposed to be easy. And a church that's going to impact the world, it has to be a church that's going to be distinctly different. That requires you and I to be different. Sanctification is the process by which we grow into holiness and Christ-likeness. Sanctification is the opposite of being drawn into worldliness. Sanctification is the process where I grow to be more like Jesus day by day by day. When you get saved, you get saved in a split second. You receive Christ as Savior, you're born again. Boom! Over and done with immediately. Sanctification, that's going to take you the rest of your life. I got saved when I was nine years old, and I'm still on a sanctification journey. Still working it. Still staying after it. Still putting my flesh to death. 
So let's try to be more like Jesus. I haven't made it yet, but I'm trying. And in sanctification, you should see growth over a period of time. It's not always going to be linear up and to the right. You're going to have good days and bad days, good weeks and bad weeks, but you should trend upwards over time. That's the idea behind sanctification. Again, Bible dictionary definition of sanctification, the process of renewal and consecration by which believers are made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, the consequence of just sanctification is the consequence of justification as dependent upon a person being in a right relationship with God. Made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm grieved and frustrated by churches that think the only job of the Holy Spirit is to do supernatural sign works. The Holy Spirit is there to make you holy. Read what Jesus said in John 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit is given to you to remind you what Jesus has said. To convict the world of sin. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Here's how you get it right. Remember what Jesus said? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And as you and I remember what Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit convicts our souls of sin, we desire to change and be more like Jesus Christ. That's the process of sanctification. And the more that we're sanctified, the further and further and further we get from sin. That's the idea behind it. The more holy we become, the more separate we are from sin. And here's the thing, if you're struggling with the same sin this week that you were struggling with 10 years ago, you're failing in sanctification. It should be a, a pattern of growth. I don't struggle with the same things that I did 20 years ago. I don't struggle with the same things that I did 10 years ago. I struggle with different things now. But I'm continually refining my Christian walk to be more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. Sanctification and holiness are a result of the Spirit at work in our lives to mold us into Christ's image, not a result of conforming to external rules. Now, as we begin to get into sanctification, we begin to say, how do we become more sanctified? How do I become more set apart? How do I become less like the world and more like Jesus Christ? I would submit to you, be in the word be obedient to the word, listen to the Holy Spirit, find areas of your life that are displeasing to God, repent, and move forward. That's basically the premise of it. The problem is that sometimes well-meaning churches will say, if you want to be sanctified, here's how it happens. You don't watch television at all. You don't listen to any music whatsoever, even if it's instrumental music, unless it's Christian music. You only allow your children to go to Christian school or homeschool. No public school. If your kids go to college, they can't go to a secular college. They must go to a Christian college. And you're like, I got a question. Could you like... As you're throwing these rules out, could you give me Bible verses that match up with these? Because I don't see these in Scripture anywhere. Well, that's the problem. Many times churches, in an effort to try to give you maybe good advice, maybe give you good uh, life guidance, will begin to create uh, an unwritten structure, or even sometimes a written structure of rules you need to follow to be sanctified. Let me just tell you, that is incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. Because Why? Then we become not slaves to Christ, the way we're commanded to. We become slaves to the rules. Because the idea is that ultimately the rules will please Christ. Therefore, being a slave to the rules is okay. And the entire book of Galatians is written to a group of people who were sucked into following rules instead of following Christ. That's the reason the whole book of Galatians was written. Because people had come into the church who said, hey, it's okay if you want to follow Jesus, but you still have to keep the Old Testament law. You still have to keep the Sabbath, you still have to do the sacrifices, you still can't eat pork, uh, you still have to, to wear certain types of clothing, you still have to follow all these rules, but you can also be a Christian too. Guys, you got to be circumcised, no uncircumcision in the church because that means you're not a real follower of Christ. And, and Paul writes, and he's like, hey guys, everything that you've heard, flush it. It's no good. That's not the true gospel. And so unfortunately, sometimes some very well-meaning churches in an effort to want to help people walk in holiness and righteousness will give you rules, sometimes written, sometimes unwritten, 
in ways to help you follow Christ. That's not real sanctification. And again, I hate to say this because it, it, many of these churches are very well-meaning and love Jesus fiercely. But when we submit ourselves to a separate set of rules in an effort to pursue sanctification, we now become in bondage to a different master. And that's majorly problematic. And again, I don't say that these churches are terrible people, they don't love Jesus, they don't know the Bible. It's just a misguided approach to sanctification. Now, for me, for example, I don't believe that Christians should watch R-rated movies. I don't think that that's wise. I think if a group of unsaved people can get together in a room and watch a movie and say, this has too much sex, too much foul language, too much drug use, too much alcohol glorification, too much violence against women, that we don't think that children should watch this. I don't know that any of those things are redeeming things for Christians to watch either. Just don't. So for me, I've made a decision. Our family, we don't watch R-rated movies. Just something we don't do. Now, that's fine for us. The problem comes when I say, if you're a real Christian, you don't watch R-rated movies. You see what happened there? Hmm. I took something that was good for me, and then I made it basically good for everyone. Now, do I believe that's probably wise for everyone? Maybe, maybe not. And then sometimes people ask me, it's like, well, Pastor, what if it's an R-rated movie because of only violence, no foul language, no nudity, no sexual content, just violence? What is, is, that, is that wrong? I don't know. That's a decision that you and God have to make. I can't make that decision for you. And he said, some of you are sitting there feeling really uneasy right now. Like, did he just say that violence in movies is okay? I don't know. The Bible's a pretty violent book. <laughs> true or not True. You take a tent stake and run it through somebody's temple, right? That's pretty violent where I come from. You, you cut a guy's head off and throw it over a fence? That's kind of violent where I come from. And so again, I mean, if we, if we were to look at the Bible as a, the book that it is, I think it's a, it's a violent book. And I think, you know, things like war movies and stuff like that might be violent for a reason. I don't know. But again, my place tonight is not to tell you what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. My place tonight is to tell you to get your idea for sanctification and holiness, not from my list of rules or guidelines, but from Scripture, the Bible. If you read our church constitution and bylaws, there's no rules on being a church member aside from being a good Christian. We don't write in our church constitution and bylaws, here's the things that, if you're a member of who we call a Baptist church, you cannot do. You know, you can't do this, that, the other. We don't do that because sanctification and following Jesus is so much more than a list of rules. And so there's really two sides of the ditch when it comes to sanctification, really two incorrect views of sanctification. One of those is legalism. Now, legalism in its truest sense goes back to a works-based salvation. You have to follow these rules very closely to be saved. That's where the, the churches of Galatia were getting caught up in, in the fact they felt like they had to keep the Old Testament law and especially circumcision for men to actually be saved. That's the, the furthest version of legalism. But there's also more of a soft legalism in the fact that if you really want to please Christ, the only way that you can do it is by adhering to these rules because these rules please Christ. And again, Christ doesn't become the goal, the rules become the goal. And that becomes problematic. L let me just tell you, in, in legalistic churches, churches where, where they strive for legalism, it would be inappropriate for a pastor on a Sunday night to stand in the pulpit with an untucked shirt. <gasps> Can you believe that? Now listen, I'm a strong proponent of tucking your shirt in. I, I'm all for it, right? I was super busy. The, the clothes that I baptized in today were soaking wet. I threw on a shirt. I didn't tuck it in. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll do penance for it later. Uh, but <laughs> that was also a joke, okay? Uh, but, but here's the thing. Again, no lie. There are churches that I've been in before that you don't stand on the platform unless you have a jacket on. Because if you're going to stand before the President of the United States, you would put a jacket and a tie on. If you're going to stand before a holy God, you put a jacket and a tie on. And so therefore, if you really love Jesus... You're wearing a jacket and a tie. Well, I don't own one. There's a men's warehouse up at Ward. I think they close at 9 o'clock. You're more than welcome to stop by and pick yourself up one. Okay. And then guess what? The jacket and the tie become the, the view of whether or not you really love Jesus or not. I know pastors that would have had a heart attack 
to have a guy sing a song on a Sunday night in a t-shirt and shorts and slippers on the platform. <laughs> Had a heart attack. Like, I don't even think anybody in this place is saved. Like, people are clapping, enjoying themselves, praising God. It's just completely pagan and given over to, to the flesh, right? We laugh about that because it's just like, really? No, really. Really. And again, I'm not saying these people are terrible people. They're awful churches and they don't love Jesus or anything like that. It's just a different view of sanctification. Look, I know Alex's story. And I love Alex's story. I'm encouraged by that. And the fact that a single guy would get up and praise Jesus in front of a, a group of people that he loves and considers his family, that like gets me on every level. That encourages my heart. That helps me. <laughs> no lie. I'm going to put Trey on blast here for just a minute. He walks up to me tonight. He was like, hey, pastor, uh, is Alex going to sing tonight? I go, yeah. Man, it was great this morning. I was so excited. I got to hear it twice this morning. I get to hear it again tonight. He's like, okay. So about that, Alex is wearing a T-shirt, shorts, and slippers. I was like, okay. He's like, you okay with that? 100%. He's like, okay, got it. Why? Because Trey's been in churches before where that's not acceptable. It's just like, oh, I thought he was still wearing the button-up shirt with the collar that he had on today. That was acceptable, the T-shirt, not acceptable. Again, now we begin to look at what are the things that really please God. And we say things like, button shirt with collar pleases God, T-shirt doesn't please God. You see where we're going with this? And then, the, again, the, the desire to adhere to these rules becomes the goal instead of Christ being the goal. And again, I've been in churches like this before, and they're not terrible people who don't love Jesus. They just have a different view of what sanctification looks like. And I'm trying to help you have a biblical view of what sanctification looks like. Some of you are delighted that you get to wear shorts to church uh, on a Sunday. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. It doesn't break my heart. You want to wear slippers or slippers? I don't care. But at the end of the day, I just want you to love Jesus. I'd rather you wear a t-shirt and shorts to church and slippers and love Jesus than to wear a three-piece suit and carry the biggest... Bible you could find at the Christian bookstore and be a hypocrite any day of the week. Because, again, I believe that as God begins to change our heart, the outside will be evident. Things on the outside are going to change. But again, the things that are important will change. That's one negative view of sanctification, an incorrect view of sanctification. The other side of the ditch on the other side of the road is antinomianism, or what's sometimes referred to as hypergrace. Antinomianism comes from the, the Greek word namos, which is where we get our word law. Antinomos, which would mean effectively no law. Carries the idea of this is that we can live as we wish because we're under grace, not the law. Repentance is not necessary because we live daily under the grace of God. It's a form of spiritual anarchy which rejects the law as having any place in the Christian life, whether as an instructor or an assessor. Hey, I don't need the Bible. I don't need God's word because God's given me his grace. God says I'm forgiven. God sees me as redeemed. God sees me as justified. I don't need to be justified any other way. I don't even need to repent when I sin because I'm already forgiven. Well, then the question becomes, then why live for Jesus? Why should we live a sanctified life? Well, you don't have to if you don't want to. Because you're under the grace of God. And so we don't teach people to love Jesus. We don't teach people to walk according to Scripture. We don't even teach people to obey the Scripture. Just do your best and forget the rest. What? What about when God says, be holy as I am holy? What about if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? What about walking in repentance and holiness and restoration? Why would David have to write Psalm 51 after he sinned with Bathsheba if he was just already forgiven? If he could just live how he wanted to? Because that's the opposite of grace. And so we find again, when we're given over to antinomianism, we can live how we want to and continue to sin, and there's no need for repentance, there's no need for, for holiness now we become a slave to another master, and the slave in this case here is not a list of rules. The slave in this, that we become a master, the master in this case that we become a slave to becomes our own hearts. I can have what I want. I can have my cake and eat it too. And I don't have to repent. And he says, wow, that seems like super far out there, pastor. I bet there's not a lot of churches like that out there, is there? They probably wouldn't use the words antinomianism or hypergrace. 
But the type of churches where you can come as you are and stay as you are are way plenteous in the world we live in today. Look, when you can celebrate and throw a party for the things that God calls sin, you have long left God's rules and guidelines and even trying to obey Scripture. So again, there has to be some middle road. What's the middle road? The middle road is holiness and sanctification and living under the grace of God. So what's a healthy view of sanctification? It's this. I have freedom in Jesus from the law and regulations, not to serve my flesh, but to serve Jesus and serve others. I'm thankful that I don't have a list of rules and guidelines. And I'm thankful I don't have to keep the law. I'm thankful. Imagine this. In the Old Testament, there was a list of all the things that you could do wrong. And when you did them wrong, here's how you make them right. If you steal from your neighbor, you have to restore to him twofold. Can you imagine, like, hey, I stole something from my neighbor. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I got to go look up how I make that right. And so I go find some guy who's got a big scroll because they didn't have the Bible back then the way that we have. Hey, could you get out the scroll so I can figure out exactly what I got to do to make that right? Oh, right, I got to go. I stole one of his pigs. I got to give him two pigs back. Got it. Oh, man. We're not bound to that anymore. You steal from your neighbor, you should make it right with your neighbor. But at the end, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Done. Settled. When I sin against God, all I have to do is repent and I can move forward. So that gives me a freedom. I don't have to live by rules. I don't have to live by regulations. I don't have to be bound by the law any longer. Woohoo! I get to live how I want. No, no, no. You misunderstood. Your freedom isn't to serve yourself. Your freedom is to serve Christ. That's why Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. In other words, get this. You're walking in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's coming out of you. You don't need a list of rules to follow to please Christ. You just walk in the Spirit. There's no law necessary for that. So that gives us a freedom. But the Bible tells us, use not your freedom as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Because I'm not bound by the law anymore, I get to come to church and worship Jesus of my own free volition because I believe that he's worthy. I'm free to worship today. Praise God for that. I didn't come to church this morning hoping that I'll keep my salvation. I didn't come to church this morning because somebody gave me a list that says, if you miss a week of church attendance, you can't do X. I came to church today because I love Jesus with every fiber of my being, and I could not wait to gather with God's people and to worship him. I get to do that because I'm free to do so. If I choose to help somebody this week, I can choose to help them because I'm free. If I choose to pray for somebody this week, I can, I can do that because I'm free. I'm not free to live how I want. <laughs> I had somebody try to argue with me one time. My, my stance, they said that they want to take our, our, our boys who were teenagers at the time. One of them was a teenager. One of them was a preteen at the time. Wanted to take them to an R-rated movie. And I said, our family doesn't do R-rated movies. And they said, oh, well, in Christ, we have freedom to, to not be under the law anymore. <laughs> Let me just stop you right there. Jesus didn't die so that you can go watch filthy R-rated movies. That's not what freedom means. Oh, it just reminded me too, this morning when that guy slumped over in his car out front. Very nice, very nice car. Very nice car. Probably a $50,000, $60,000 car slumped over the passenger side, falling out of the passenger side drive, uh, passenger side door. Me and Trey are sitting there looking at this guy like, I wonder if his head's going to hit the pavement or not, right? And he, Trey said this to me. He didn't, have, he didn't really know what I was preaching about. He said this, doesn't look like a lot of freedom out there to me. How about you? I thought, hmm, nope, he's in slavery to another master. And we sometimes think like, oh, if I could be free from the, the rules and regulations of the Bible, I could really live freely. No, you couldn't. You'd just be in bondage to another master. You want true freedom that's found in Christ. It's not a freedom to live how you want to. It's a freedom to serve Christ and to serve other people. So at the end of the day, you and I both need guiding principles that help shape our heart towards holiness. <coughs> For those of you that might have been a part of a church at some time that was tended towards legalism uh, in terms of giving you a list of rules to follow Christ, you might notice that I've purposely avoided the use of the word standard because sometimes people say this standard is set to help you follow Jesus, you know, and they call the list of rules that they have the standards. 
I purposely avoided that. I'm talking about guiding principles. I want to do what pleases the Lord. That means the music that I listen to, I want to listen to music that honors the Lord and is good. It helps my soul. Does that mean that I listen to Christian music 100% of the time? Hmm, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I can't make that decision for you. You've got to make that. Let me just tell you this. When my wife and I go on dates together, and we're driving down the road, smiling at each other, making goo-goo eyes, holding hands, on my playlist is not A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. <laughs> A Mighty Fortress. She's our God. Not on there. I'm just telling you that. So what I'm trying to say is there's probably an appropriate time for music that still honors the Lord, not dishonoring to God, but might not be necessarily Christian music. I know people before that say, that's sinful. Sinful. You know? In fact, you listen to Kenny G. I think listening to Kenny G is sinful anyways, but that's just a... <laughs> for a totally different reason, right? Uh, but... Um, <laughs> But again, here's the idea at the end of the day. I need guidelines in my life that I have set that we don't do stuff like that. My kids know there's certain places that we don't go. My son Van came to me a couple weeks ago and he said, hey dad, a bunch of people are wanting to go sing karaoke at this place, but it's really a bar that has a karaoke section. I don't feel comfortable with that. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> there's a place shot in, in uh, IAEA. It's like a family Christian karaoke joint that they don't allow alcohol and stuff like that. Man, go out there. Don't go to a bar that also has a karaoke section. I love pizza. Somebody told me one time, like, oh, there's this bar over here that has the best pizza on the island. I'm sorry. I guess I'll never have it. I'm not going to walk into a bar where people are standing around the bar and belly up to the bar and say, hey, can I get a large pepperoni pizza and sit down and eat it? I'm just not. That's a line that I have drawn to help me to follow after Jesus. Now, I know people, and again, who say, uh, hey, I wouldn't go to a restaurant that has the name bar in the name. So, for example, Chili's Grill and Bar. Not going to go there because uh, they have a bar area or because they have the name bar in the, the name. Hey, if that's your, your, your guiding principle that you have set, I respect that. I'm for you. I support you. Two thumbs up. But if I go get chips and salsa with my family, don't tell me that I don't love Jesus because they serve alcohol there. Now, again, I think we all have to have wisdom as far as what that is. Is this place a primarily a bar where people get drunk, where people order liquor, and they also happen to sell really good chicken wings? I don't know. We have to have discernment. But here's, here's what you're going to find out, too. I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm not going to tell you where the line is. The Holy Spirit has to tell you where the line is. And here's the thing. If you're really in tune to the Holy Spirit, you're really in tune to the Word of God, you know for a fact when you've crossed that line. You know it like nobody's business, like, oh, that didn't feel good. My wife and I were uh, on vacation uh, for our 10-year anniversary. We went to uh, Cancun, Mexico. And we're there in Cancun, and, and no lie, we went during a global pandemic. We went during the swine flu. It was awesome because nobody was there, nobody. And so we're walking through uh, downtown Cancun, and, and we speak little to no Spanish whatsoever, and we're just having a blast. I mean, white tourists stuck out like a sore thumb and stuff. And we heard this, this place that was playing music, and so we walked in, we sat down. And we were like the only people in there. We are just sitting there talking and listening to music and stuff like that. And then we look around and we realize there's like this couple over here in the corner that are like grinding on each other and some guy that's like hanging over this other girl. And we realize, I think we just sat down in a bar that was playing music. And we began to look at him, got really uncomfortable. And I said, I think we should probably leave. She goes, yeah, me too. And so we got up and left. Now, I think to myself, I'm glad that I was in Cancun. I wasn't in Honolulu. And people say, I think I saw Pastor and his wife come out of the bar down the street. It's like, <laughs> really awkward. But we sat there for a minute, again, totally oblivious to what was going on. And then we realized, hey, wait a minute. I think we crossed the line here. And we knew immediately, we got to get out of here. And we did. No, we didn't know anybody. It wasn't sinful. We didn't have sinful intentions, but we knew when we crossed the line. And again, I'm not here to give you that. I'm here to help you, to point you to the scriptures and tell you to be in tune to the Holy Spirit. I need guideposts that keep me from feeding my flesh and help me to live out my biblical convictions. For me, I've made a decision. I'm not going to hang out with a group of guys that are drinking alcohol, period. Not going to happen. Not on my watch. If I'm with a group of guys and somebody busts out the, the cooler and there's beer in there, I'm sorry, guys. I got to go. Why? That's just a conviction that I have. I don't feel right about it. I don't feel good about it. 
I've worked for decades to build a solid Christian witness, and I'm not going to have it tainted by someone who doesn't share the same values that I do. I just can't afford it. I'm sorry. i got to go. You say, have you done that before? Absolutely. Is it awkward? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But I desire Christ-likeness more than I desire to fit in with the world. And so I need guiding principles in my life. I need to say, hey, these are the things that are acceptable and things that are not acceptable. Now, again, I can tell you, don't watch R-rated movies, and that becomes the, the standard, let's say. Well, is it okay to watch PG-13 movies that have anti-Christ themes throughout? Well, probably not. Okay. Is it okay to watch PG movies that teach kids to be in open rebellion against their parents and to sass their parents and teach them that their parents are a bunch of bumbling idiots who don't know anything about life? Well, probably not. Okay, so then we begin to get crazy. Okay, you can't watch R-rated movies. Those are off limits. PG-13 movies that have anti-Christ themes. PG movies that have anti-family, anti-Christ themes. And you see what we're doing? We haven't even gotten to music yet, and we got six rules already about the types of movies that will allow and won't allow. Hey, look, I can't give you that list. You've got to know what's right for you. If you have children, what's right for your home. I'm not going to give that to you. I refuse to give that to you. I tell you to search the scriptures and allow the Spirit to guide you away from worldliness and towards Christ-likeness. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Here's the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, strife, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such to like, which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I can't afford to feed my flesh because that makes me look like the unsaved man. That hurts my Christian witness. That hurts my effectiveness for the cause of Christ. That affects my fruit for the kingdom. I can't afford it. So, it's important to understand as well. Unless explicitly found in Scripture, my guideposts are my personal views to help me to be more like Jesus. I've known people in our church before who says, we don't own a TV. We don't want that influence in our life, and we're A-OK without it. You know what I say to that? God bless you. I support you 100%. I think that's great for you and your family. I think it's bold that you'd be willing to make such a stand for you and your family. That's great. The problem that we run into is when they say, well, I would never have a pastor who owned a TV. <laughs> Guess I'm not your pastor. Because that's your conviction, not mine. Now, again, I have convictions on what should and shouldn't be watched in a Christian's home, and I got my TV locked down like Fort Knox. Please understand that. But I don't share your same conviction because I don't find it in Scripture. But when the Bible says, set no wicked thing before your eye, that's a biblical command. And so if you're watching things that are filthy, ugly, ungodly, you're in sin. You're wrong. 100%. Flat out. Because you're violating Scripture. But the fact that you own a television, I can't necessarily make that case. I heard somebody say, this was almost 20 years ago, so it's dated, but somebody said, I don't think Christians should ever be on the internet for any reason whatsoever. Okay? I just think the whole internet's wicked and sinful. It's of the devil. Nothing good that can ever come out of it. You just need to cut off your internet and cut off your cable TV. Okay. That didn't age very well, Right? Fast forward 20 years, you can't live without being connected to the internet. Some of you wouldn't have been able to, to go to work and get a paycheck if you didn't have an internet connection over the last couple of years, right? So it's not a matter of like, you can't have access to the internet, it's you need to know how to use the internet appropriately, right? I think, I think we run afoul when we give our children at too young of an age smartphones and full unfettered access to the internet. You're setting themselves up for trouble. I believe, and again, my personal conviction, I can back it up with science and data that you're setting yourself and your, your children up for failure when you give them access to social media as teenagers. I didn't come up with that. Facebook knows that. Instagram knows that. They got studies that point that out. That there's a direct link between depression and social media. And you say, well, my kid's got Facebook. Then be super cautious about it and be wise. But again, I think to, to, as parents... We don't need to restrict everything from our kids. We need to teach them how to use them in a godly, Christ-honoring fashion. 
And, it, and look, when you turn 18, you decide to get a Facebook account. How do you do it in a way that honors God? You want to have access to the internet. How do you do it in a way that pleases God? You know, you want to send photos to your friends. How do you do that in a way that pleases and honors God? We can't, we can't just restrict and say, okay, Christians don't send pictures on their phones. I wanted somebody to see the car that I just bought. Can I not send? No, you can't because Christians don't send pictures. Okay. I want to ask my wife, should I wear this shirt or the other one? I can't send a picture because Christians don't send pictures on their smartphones. What? Again, I want guideposts that guide me. I want, I want to be able to guide my children. And if something's not found in Scripture, it just has to be my personal view. And again, as your pastor, I support your view, whatever it is, as long as it's yours. The problem be- begins when you take your view that's not based on Scripture and try to place it on other people. That becomes problematic. And so, again, we don't want to be like the world. We want to be like Christ. But our problem becomes when we impose extra-biblical guideposts on others, others, we're not like Christ, but we're like Pharisees. We've been in churches before that if ladies didn't wear a skirt and it had to be a certain length, you weren't allowed to work in the nursery. You weren't allowed to work in children's nursery unless you wore a skirt. I get it. If that's your guideline, I support it. That's not what's right for our church. It's just not. Now, should ladies be modest? Absolutely, for sure. Modesty is a biblical concept. You can't, out, you can't argue against biblical modesty. But for me to say, you know, here's what biblical modesty looks like. And for those of you that are wondering what biblical modesty looks like, it's two fingers below the hollow of your neck. Right? No, you, you laugh. There are churches with manuals that they hand out to prospective members. It's two fingers below the hollow of your neck. Three fingers is sinful. Four, four fingers is totally worldly, right? And it's like, okay, well, what if somebody has bigger fingers than another person? It's like, do you take that into account? And again, I understand the heart behind it, well-meaning. We don't want ladies with plunging necklines that show way too much that they should. I get that. But when the, when the standard of holiness is like, I saw her shirt the other day, and that's definitely not two fingers. We're not encouraging them to be more like Christ. We're encouraging a spirit of the Pharisees. That's problematic. And again, those types of things, when you take well-meaning Christians who really just want to live for Jesus and impose these extra-biblical rules on them, we're not helping them to grow in sanctification. We're helping them to love the rules instead of loving Christ. And so again, at the end of the day, it's not about following extra-biblical guidelines or lists of rules. It's about following Jesus more than anything else. Bottom line, finish, last thought. The goal isn't to follow rules, but to pursue Christ with a pure heart. When you and I become a slave to rules and guidelines, now we become in bondage to just a different master. I've been at churches before when they have a church softball game. Ladies are required to wear skirts at the church softball game. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Hey, it's the rule. Okay. You know, real Christians don't go to the movie theater. Well, I'm going to take my kids to see Cars 3. It'll be out on DVD in three months. Wait. Okay. And then, no lie, there became a thing like, real Christians don't go to Blockbuster. Well, where am I supposed to get my DVDs from? Do I have to buy every DVD that comes out? Or can I rent them? Or like what? Real Christians don't have Netflix. Come on, we're, we're going down a, a road that just isn't biblical. So again, the, the goal is not to pursue rules. The goal is to pursue Christ. And look, if you're pursuing Christ and you're growing and you really just want to honor and please the Lord in everything that you do, it's going to come out in your life eventually anyways. And let me just tell you this. You can't spot the spirituality of a Christian by the length of a girl's skirt or by the way that a guy dresses or whether he wears a jacket and tie or not. You just can't. You only get to see that by their heart, by spending time with them, by hearing their story, hearing what God's doing in their life. And so again, when it comes to being separate from the world, we need to be really careful what that separation looks like. Am I, do I really want to be separate from the world because I want to have a distinct Christian testimony? Or am I doing it to please other people or people will think that I'm really super spiritual? Or am I doing it because it really honors the Lord? Again, I, I don't want to, as your pastor, I'm never going to give you a list of rules that you need to follow. For folks that are in leadership in our church, I have a couple of rules, and by a couple, I mean like one or two. 
I even talked about this with our deacons yesterday. Like, hey, when people become leaders in our children's ministry or small group ministry, I have like one or two rules that I want them to follow. That's it. You want to say, what are those rules? <laughs> when the time comes, you'll find out. So. But again, even if you read through our church constitution and bylaws, there's not a big list of rules of things that you can't do. It just says live like a Christian. And so I don't know what that looks like. Good, we've got discipleship to help you learn what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. But holiness, that's not a bad thing. Modesty, not a bad thing. Christ-likeness, that's the goal of every Christian. How we pursue it, though, with the right heart is sometimes different. We have to pursue it with a pure heart. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. But for those of us that are Christians, let's live like Christians this week. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.